You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. My dad used to say, when people would say they saw me at a restaurant, he would say, he's the eatingest thing. That bread's the eatingest thing. You are the fellowship in this thing I've ever seen. Bunch I've ever seen. So that's a good, that's a good problem to have. Neil, uh, beautiful, that was a beautiful prayer time that Neil led us in this morning. Beautiful music. It, what, a, what a great Lord's Day. The Lord has just filled my heart with joy on this day. I... I don't feel great physically, but I am full of the Lord's beauty and presence in my uh, heart today. Neil already pointed us in the direction of our, our, our sermon series, which is the five solas. If you're here for the first time at Grace, you might be wondering, what in the world <clears throat> is a sola? Uh, sola is a Latin word for alone, and the five solas... Scripture alone, Christ alone, <clears throat> grace alone, faith alone, and glory to God alone for our salvation, uh, written in the Latin on the screen there, uh, it, it is really what it would be as much as you could make a doctrinal statement for Protestants, that would be it. The five solas would be the, the doctrinal statement that distinguishes Protestant beliefs from Roman Catholic beliefs. And this all began 500 years ago, this past week, and during the Reformation when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to uh, the church door at Wittenberg. Uh, we believe, as Protestants, we believe that Scripture alone, not what the Pope says, not what our hearts say. Well, this, what does your heart tell you about God? We don't believe that, we believe that Scripture alone points to salvation in Christ as our only hope of salvation. We are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone. Not by good works or um, uh, on our part in any measure. And, and our salvation is to the glory of God alone. So what we're doing is taking two weeks on each of the solas. And the first week we have a panel uh, that goes along with the sermon for that day. And then the second Sunday, it's, it's just a, a, a sermon about that particular solo. Uh, today is the first of two Sundays dedicated to faith alone. And in many respects, this is where the Reformation began. When Martin Luther realized, guilty, miserably guilty as he was, <coughs> that there was... Nothing he could do about his salvation. He could never be good enough, even though the church had prescribed, here are the ways if you do this, this, and this, you'll, just, you'll be okay. But he said, what if I have sinned and I didn't know? In all of that miserable guilt, Martin Luther realized that he did not have to be good enough to please God, but that Jesus had died for his sins, for our sins. And as Romans 5, 9 tells us, we have been justified, we have been justified or made right with God by Jesus' blood. When Martin Luther read Romans 1.17, which told him the righteous <coughs> shall live by faith. It was, came from the Old Testament like so many of our New Testament verses do. When he read Romans 1.17, he realized that our salvation is not Bought by our good works, but it was bought by Jesus' blood, and the righteous ones are the ones who believe that Jesus' death was payment for their sins. He understood that with the rest of Scripture, of course, but that one little verse summed it up. That's our text for next week, Romans 1, 16 and 17. When he read <clears throat> that verse, the weight of all his sin was lifted off his shoulders, and he was forgiven as he threw himself on God's mercy at Jesus' feet. Martin Luther believed, and he was saved. That put the thoughts and actions into motion that would lead to the Reformation. Look, we are far 
more in need of a reformation today than we were then. And we were badly in need of a reformation then. And you know what the issues are today? The exact same. When it comes to salvation, what is it that's going to allow me to stand justified before God? Is it my good works? Or is it faith in what Jesus has done? Uh, this question will be addressed by our solar panel this morning. Get it? Solar panel. I think it's funny. I don't think you guys think it's funny. I just want you to know it was Chris Pope that came up with it. I'm going to invite uh, Chris Pope and Scott Colbert, two of our elders, uh, to come up to the platform. We're going to do it a little uh, different today. We're going to talk about faith on the panel. So you guys come on up. Uh, there he is back here. I think it's really funny, Chris. Uh, <clears throat> um, so typically the panel comes at the end of the, uh, of the service. Uh, but today we have communion at the end, so we're going to have the panel and then a brief uh, message, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. So uh, I, first of all, welcome uh, Chris Thank and you. Scott, and I, I, I know that the two of you are delighted to have such a simple um, uh, sola as faith. <laughs> there are no simple solas, just know that. They're, these are all quite complex and yet it does come back to a basic trust in the Lord. So faith alone. In a few minutes we're going to see from uh, Genesis 15 how that Abraham was saved the same way we are. Faith in the promises of God. He believed the promises of God and God said you are righteous. Uh, it's not that the Old Testament saints were, were saved by keeping the law. New Testament saints are, are, are saved by believing Jesus. That's true about us. But the Old Testament saints saved the same as we are. So faith is a big deal. Um, how were we to define faith? There's actually, it's as simple as it seems, there's a lot of confusion about this. What, what is faith? Well, I mean, if you go straight to Hebrews 11 and look at verse 1, I mean, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Although that could be placed in a lot of places. And in our culture, in our world, you know, you'll hear all sorts of things. We were talking last night. Uh, testimony time about the great theologian George Michael, you know, it takes a strong ma man, baby, but I'm showing you the door because I got to have faith, right? But faith in what? It, it, now that's funny. <laughs> so it, faith is not necessarily a blind trust. When we talk about, you know, we, we discussed, and you've heard Brad mentioned from the pulpit before, your faith is only as strong as what you place it in, the object of your faith. And the object of our faith as Christians is Jesus Christ, you know, his perfect life, his death, burial, resurrection, and seated at the right hand of God. He's our salvation. So our faith and our object of our faith is in him. But it's also, it's a historical faith. When you look back at the great patriarchs of the Bible, and we, I'm sure Brad's going to discuss Genesis 15 today, that's our text, and we're going to talk about Abraham. But you look at Isaac, Jacob, you look at Noah. You know, people would have thought them crazy. Let's think about Abraham's life. He's living in Raleigh-Durham. God comes and talks to him and says, I want you to take your family, leave everything you know, take your family, and head towards Cincinnati. Just start walking. Wait, wait, wait. Raleigh-Durham is far more the promised land than Cincinnati. We just... Uh... Well, the Cincinnati's not the promised land. No, he's going to wander in that direction, settle there for a while, and then head to Chattanooga. Oh, okay, Chattanooga. <laughs> and if you look at your Bible and look at the maps, it's basically how it lays out for us if, we're in yep. the, if we put ourselves in that place. And yet, Abraham, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But it wasn't something that he did. He was constantly flawed. And so were all of the patriarchs of the Bible when you look at them. But people would have thought them crazy. Who in the world would have thought Noah to be a sane man when God tells him to start building an ark? You know, he would have had to have people outside of his family paid to help construct it. And yet, you know, if, if someone were to say that to you in our day, day and time, we'd have them committed. You'd think, you're out of your mind. But the object of their faith was God's promise. The object of our faith is God's promise. And that's in Jesus Christ. Yes, uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1 it's, it's placed in a context. If you just take that on its own, it sounds kind of like a George Michael view of faith when it's just, well, faith in things that you don't see, but you're, you're certain in your heart that it's going to happen. But it's placed in this incredible book of Hebrews where yeah. we, talk, we talk about the sacrifice of God or it through Christ mm -hmm. uh, for our sin. Yeah, one of the uh, intriguing parts of the that 
definition of faith for me always was that being able to believe in something that you can't see um, mm -hmm. and being certain that it's yeah. true or being certain that it will happen or being certain that it is there, um, just as I learned that growing up, that was always something that it was a little mysterious for me, right? And, and it drew me, drew me that direction. Um, but as it grew, or God grew me in that faith, um, it's just so, like, like this morning even, just hearing everyone sing, being able to put, in, put yourself in, in your mind's eye in the unadulterated presence of God with all the saints from all time, <laughs> raising their voices to Jesus and seeing Jesus just smile at that. Being able to, to see what you can't see. You know, I've always, that, that, that aspect of faith always just really intrigued me and continues to. Let's talk about that a little uh, more fully. Chris mentioned that's the, that the object of our faith is important. Um, so talk about that a little bit. Faith in Jesus, the object of our faith, as opposed to just faith as, a, as an idea. Oh, this is the point where in, my, in the script, that's mine. <laughs> We're like the nutty professors over here. We have so many notes we want to share. I'm going to forget stuff. But. Yeah, I got just, just a few pages here. <laughs> yeah. Um, PJ, when I show, say cut it off, uh, you can't go here. <laughs> so, yeah, faith in what? Again, it's, that's a very important question. And I would say kind of hand in hand with that is faith. You know, what is the reason for faith in the first place, right? Um, or why do people have faith? Um, I would point out that I don't think people have a decision of whether or not you have faith. People have faith, even if it's faith in nothing, right? We're hardwired to believe in something, even if that something is, is at the end of the day, quote, nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just made a list of what I think I've seen people have faith in. Um, nothing, which is really a faith in this is all that there is, right? And that produces several different responses, either kind of nihilism, why, you know, what's the purpose? Or I'm going to get everything I can get right now. Uh, faith in myself, faith in the good of others, faith in the government, the universe itself, uh, some ethereal concept of goodness or the truth in the universe, um, faith in the future, evolution, it's just going to get better, um, faith in my religion, faith in God, but but a God that's in my image. Faith in the Bible, that I know Scripture. Faith in my ability to follow the Bible's teaching. Are these the right objects? You know, that's a whole spectrum. And you're, you're kind of getting closer, maybe, but um, I think all of these faiths ultimately... Uh, Somehow, just as a faith in everything's going to work out. And really, that's to my peace, my comfort, my joy. And that's the reason that I have this belief. Even if it's a f belief in nothing, I'm comforted that I will die and that it will all go away. And the purposelessness of my existence will go away and I will hurt no more. Even if it's that kind of faith. They're, they're all these objects, right? Um, but then God comes in, right, and reveals, or I should say, when he reveals the truth about who he is and the truth about who we are. You know, he is perfection itself, ruler authority over everything, everything that is good, our creator, and so much more. And then we cannot provide the perfection. We don't have the perfection that he demands. 
and he will cast us out from him. He's, when he reveals, us this, reveals this truth to us, and that he reveals that we are created by him and have nothing in ourselves for him to accept us, that we've broken his law and that we've demanded our own satisfaction, we set ourselves up as our own God, believing that we can obtain it everywhere, obtain what we really want, the reason for our faith, our comfort, our joy, our peace, our life. We show him by our actions that we think we can obtain it everywhere but him. When he's revealed all these things, by his word alone, I would point out, we have a crisis. And all of these objects of our faith are no good. They're no good. There's nothing I can put before them. And indeed, and go ahead, Chris. Well, I was just going to say, it's almost a picture of, you know, we visualize standing in heaven before God, and, you know, we recognize that we need forgiveness. And, and one of the things Scott had in his notes talking about, you know, faith in our religion. You hear a lot in evangelical churches where you hear a lot about forgiveness, but you don't hear a lot about justification. You know, we need to be not only forgiven, but made righteous. And there's only one way to do that, and it's nothing we can do to kind of help us along that path. Yeah, that's, that's the next thing we wanted to talk about, justification. Um, what you were saying, Scott, um, that God, uh, we have a crisis when we realize the truth about who we are and who God is. Yeah. A lot of people think, we need religion uh, to save us from ourselves because we're not really good people and we could struggle on our own. We need God sent Jesus to die for us not so that he, he could save us from ourselves but so that he could save us from himself, his wrath. So justification, uh, define justification. Um, it's equally important to define this. We receive the gift of justification by faith. Faith is not the gift. Justification is the gift that we receive mm -hmm. uh, by faith. So what is justification? You've touched on it, Chris, but let's go a little deeper. Yeah, so there's so, so many things in, in this, uh, these five solas, right? And so much in our faith that you could just go into a courtroom and you could see evidences or, you know, it's... These, these ideas on display. Um, justification. It's, it's hard to get away from a courtroom. You go before the judge and someone has accused you of doing something. Probably something wrong, right? About, you know, with regard to the law. So you broke the law, Mike. What do you have to say for yourself, right? Um, then there are witnesses that come, and they testify to what they saw. And some may come and say, well, I saw that he did not break the law. And if everybody came and said, nope, didn't see him break the law, nope, saw him do the right thing, don't know where this accusation came from, um, the judge would look at Mike, say, you're just, you were justified, and now are no longer, you know, uh, under our scrutiny, and there is no condemnation, there's no um, consequence, because we decide, based on all of this testimony, that you did not break the law, you are justified now. Um, Sometimes you hear justified in your actions. It's a little different aspect of it, but you behaved a certain way because you had the right to do so, right? And when we're at this moment of crisis between, between you, you know, ourselves and God, who has shed light on your life, I don't know of anyone that I've ever met who is a true believer that said, you know, he shed his light on my life, and, and I looked at it and said, you know, it's mostly pretty good, right, God? <laughs> who knows a believer that ever said that? 
I don't. There's nothing then that I, that I stand before him as the judge of everything and everyone. There's nothing that I can point to to be justified. Again, a crisis. So the question is? Is, what is justification? Michael yeah. Horton puts it this way. He says, it's like we go into the courtroom and we're guilty. And, and the judge says, my son will pay for your crime. And by the way, you can come home and live with me. You'll be coming home to live with me. That's, that's, a, pretty, that's a pretty great picture. Mm -hmm. And we are just about out of time. And so, Chris, I'm going to ask you to bring us home <laughs> on this one. Another thing Michael Horton says is a lot of people look at faith as saying, oh, oh you don't have to do good works. You have to do faith. Uh, God likes to forgive. I like to sin. That's a pretty good deal. Pretty good relationship. Is that what faith does? Is it enable us to live the way that we want to as long as we believe Jesus died for our sins? Well, no. I mean, obviously, we all have a little Superman in us. We always, you know, we're all for truth, justice, and the American way. We think that there's something we can do, something we can add. I and mean, getting back to the courtroom, we think of ourselves as, okay, I work in compliance, and, and so I do waivers, and I'm talking about what I do right now. And and so I'm always looking for mitigating circumstances that will help my case be approved. You know, the NCAA will look at what I put forward, and, and again, what Scott has said is the same way. We're, we're trying to find ways to show that, yeah, I did wrong, but it's not so bad. And at the same time, we know full well we've been caught red-handed, and everybody knows that feeling. You've got your hand in the cookie jar, and mom or dad walk in. What are you doing? I don't know. You know, we, we all know that feeling. So, I mean, when you think about it, it it's... It's by, great, you know, by grace that we're actually justified, but it's through faith. You know, when we get back to our patriarchs, they, they were counted righteousness because they trusted, because they believed. And when you look at that, you know, it's, I heard, and if you ever listen to the White Horse podcast, I know you've heard Brad talk about it, Justification by Faith is a great podcast, and there are a couple of really golden yeah. nuggets in there. That's one of what which, I just shared from. Yeah, one of which is, you know, basically Michael Horton also sharing that when we're before the throne and... You know, Jesus is, there really is no mitigation for us. We're being accused by Satan, and Jesus is saying, no, this one's mine. It's not so much that we've been forgiven for the sins. It's not so much that God can't see it because God's omnipotent and omnipresent. He can tell, he knows we have sinned. But it's not so much that we've been forgiven and our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, that new covenant. But it's that God looks at us as if we kept his law perfectly. And that's our... That's an incredible thought. And at the same time, it's all a gift because it's nothing we've done to earn it. And it's our desire as believers to say that salvation by grace through faith means, oh, I can just live any way I want to is a misunderstanding of grace. Mm -hmm. It's a misunderstanding of, of faith that God gives us. Look, I know it's for these elders, they put in so much time for such little return on this, uh, uh, these topics. So I want to encourage you to ask either one of these guys about faith. They've been looking into this a lot. And, and there may be questions. Like I say, this is the central uh, doctrine that, that brought about the Reformation. So uh, I, I could have made a case for doing that one first. But please Like the open-handed, close-fisted sort of thing. This one's a hill you're willing to die for. That's right. We this are. This is the we, gospel. This is the gospel. So I'm going to pray for us and encourage you to talk to Chris and, and Scott. I'm sorry, guys, to cut you off. But... Uh, um, uh, they'll be cut, PJ will be cutting me off here in a few minutes too. So I'm going to pray for us and uh, just thank you, Lord, for <laughs> faith that uh, we have in Christ. We recognize that, um, Lord, we're not smart enough to figure this out. We're not able in our own strength to, to say, okay, now let's see, what have I got to do? But you have graciously drawn us us and given us faith to, to believe. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen our hearts through your word. Uh, as, as we've already seen on the screen this morning, faith comes by hearing and hearing uh, comes from the word of Christ, the word of God. We are so grateful for your word and we pray that as we look into it now in, in Genesis, uh, that you would um, open our eyes to understand the truth that is in Christ, in whose name that we pray. Amen. Well,
I want to begin this portion by just asking you if you love uh, November as much as I do. I, I suppose October is my favorite month of the year, but I love November too. I love. I mean, it's a time when our our, our thoughts begin to turn toward um, enrollment for next year's health insurance uh, policy. <laughs> I it. <laughs> And if you've received your renewal notice, it's been quite a shock uh, this year if you're under 65. Um, what do you suppose would happen if you failed to sign up for a plan and then on August 4th you had appendicitis? You, you know, you just said, I I'm just going to trust the Lord. And then on August 4th, you had appendicitis. August 7th, you're out of the hospital and you decide to go ahead and pay for your plan so that the insurance... It's not going to work, is it? They're not going to cover you. They're like, ha, you broke your end of the contract. Why do you expect us to live up to our end of the contract? Um, this morning, we're, we're going to look at the contract that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15. And thankfully, God operates far differently than insurance companies operate. Uh, in Genesis 15, we're going to see the enormity of God's faithfulness to Abraham and the role that Abraham's faith in God's promises played in his relationship with the Lord. We only have a, a, a short time uh, this morning with the Lord's Supper at the end of the message. So I, I'm going to be skipping a lot that I could point out in this text. Uh, but there's going to be plenty. And in fact, it's, we, just as we read through Genesis 15, the word is, is both informative and transformative in our lives if we read by faith. So we're going to look at the first six verses as we stand together and then we'll uh, look just quickly at the rest. So I'm going to ask you if you would please stand out of respect for the Lord's word and we will be reading from Genesis uh, 15, 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. What a word to, to Abram. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to, them, to him, God said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord. And God counted it to him as righteousness. Thank you and be seated. As you know, I'm sure, Abraham's faith in God's promises at this point in his life was 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 no small thing. It was a big deal. Abraham, we're going to call him Abraham. He's Abram up to a certain point, and then he, then he's called Abraham, and we know him as Abraham. Abraham was called as Chris. That was a beautiful analogy, Chris. I shouldn't have, should have left you alone. Starting in Raleigh, Durham, I'd prefer it going the other way, but on the map, it's better. You, I spent five years in Chattanooga, and it's not the Promised Land. I can tell you that. So, uh, but. You, uh, Abraham was over here in the Ur of the Chaldees. He goes up and then he comes back down to the promised land. And he had been approximately 75 years old when the Lord called him out of there. And he says, I'm going to make your descendants a blessing. Not only to you, but to all the nations. Now it's nearly 10 years later. He's got no child. The land, he's just a nomad on the land. Abraham would never own any more than a tomb in all of his life. And so, for God to say, you're going to have a child. It's not going to be Eliezer, your servant. It is going to be a child who comes from you, Abraham. His wife, Sarah, was 10 years younger than him. So now he's almost 85 years old. And Abraham believed the promises of God. 
And God counted it as righteousness. Abraham believed God. He said, you are a righteous man. That's what verse 6 means. This, new this verse is referenced four times in the New Testament. Four times. So what did Abraham have to do to maintain the righteousness with which God credited him? Uh, even though James indicates that Abraham's works pointed to his faith. Clearly, uh, the account of Abraham's life in Genesis indicates that if it had been up to him, he would have never been able to hold on to the righteousness with which God had credited him. In chapter 16, when Sarah didn't get pregnant, she said, hey, I've got an idea. See my servant Hagar? Famous last words, right? Already at this point, uh, Abraham has tried to pass Sarah off as his sister so that Pharaoh wouldn't kill him and take Sarah as his wife. And he would do it later with Abimelech. Uh, it was not Abraham's faithfulness that saved him, but rather his faith in God. Even when it didn't make sense to trust him. And when his actions indicated his own doubts and his missteps throughout his life. God's covenant with Abraham superseded Abraham's failure. As we will see in the rest of Genesis 15. Verse 7. God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Again, he's a, he, he's, he's a nomad. He's got... Uh, different servants and lots of people who are tending his, his animals and he's already considered to be quite a wealthy man by the people who live in the land but Abraham had no land of his own. It was as if he was saying I believe you but I'm not sure how you're going to make this happen. I, I, I don't own one square inch of land and I'm certainly not able to take the land from those who possess it. Instead of rebuking Abraham God showed him the full extent of his love. Verse 9, and he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, in these following verses, God interacted with Abraham in a way that it would have made a lot of sense to Abraham. And it would have been made a lot of sense to the first people who were reading this uh, account of, of God's dealings with the nation of Israel, which began with Abraham. He said, we're going to make a treaty. It's a suzerainty treaty. It was, that's what it was called back in that day. Um, and what would happen in this uh, kind of procedure or this, this ceremony is whenever you had two countries making a treaty, inevitably one country was stronger than the other one. So the, the, the weaker treaty or the weaker country, I'm sorry, dictated the terms of the treaty, right? Because that's what you should do. You're the weaker and so we'll let... No! The stronger country said, Okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to provide this for you and you're going to provide this, this, and this for me. And then they would take these animals and they would cut them in half and lay them on a side. There would be a path down the middle of these animals. Some of you know this, but a lot of you have not heard this before. So then, either the two leaders would walk through together, or, as is more often the case, probably, the weaker leader would walk through and would say, if I break the terms of this treaty, if I break this covenant, then may, be done to me, may the same thing be done to me that's been done to these animals. In other words, may I be cut in half. And that happened a lot. The, the, the weaker country would, would say, I'm tired of this. I'm just not going to give all this money to the stronger country anymore. And they would say, I'm not going to do it. And the leader would come. And after they defeated them in battle, they would say, okay, you know what you said. Now it's going to happen. And they were cut in half. Just, a, just a, a brutal way of living. And even though we haven't seen much of it in America, in America, that kind of brutality goes on all around the world still and Hopefully we don't experience it anytime soon, but we may. 
The strong in this life always take advantage of the weak, which is one of the reasons God says, you as believers, you are not to do that. You absolutely look out for them because if you don't, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to treat you the way that you treat those who are weak. So, in these following verses, uh, Abraham has followed the Lord's instructions. We just read about in verse, verse 9. And then we're going to see what happens. And it's totally unexpected. Verse 10. And he brought him all these. He brought, Abraham brought all these animals to the, to the Lord. He cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And look, if you're the weaker of the two parties, it's, it's, it, this treaty is not a really joyful thing for you. And great dread came on Abraham, who was indeed <clears throat> the weaker of the two parties between him and God. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain... That your offspring will be sojourner, sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring great judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall go out with great, come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So let me just quickly sort of give a sense of what the Lord is saying. He's saying, I'm going to give this land to you. And your descendants are going to inhabit it. It's going to be wonderful. But between now and then, it's going to be dark times. They're going to be 400 years. They're going to be slaves in a land. And then, you need to know something. The, the, the wickedness of the Amorites is not yet complete. And I want to wait till the time is just right. And in 400 plus years, it will be just right. Now, there were a lot of people in that time who did not see anything but slavery all of their lives. And yet, they were a part of God's plan. We have one day of trouble. And we're like, what's up with that, God? Why do you hate me so much? I mean, what is it that, why do you treat me this way? Have you abandoned me? We're a sad lot, aren't we? Fortunately, God does not treat us as we deserve. Look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now, the flaming pot, the smoking torch was a theophany. A theophany was an appearance of God in a material form, whether it be in a human form or in this case, a flaming torch and a pot. Think about it. What do you think is, is, is being communicated here? The animals have been cut in half and God himself is walking through the pieces. Verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, Israel saw that kind of territory in David's day, through uh, vassals, not that they inhabited all of those places, but all of those places gave a tribute to David as the stronger of the kings. So, what's going on here, though, is that God is saying, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And when you break this covenant, then I'm going to take the penalty. I'm going to be literally, I'm going to be cut in pieces so that your blessing will be at the highest level. In other words, so Abraham's faith in God's promises 
was associated with the Lord's own pledge to die for Abraham's failure and the failure of all of his descendants. After Moses led the Israelites out of the um, land of Egypt some 430 years later, then God said, okay, I've promised to give you this land and you're now in this land. And here's your end of the bargain. Here's what you're going to have to do to maintain this covenant. And then he gave them the law. Is there anybody here who has never broken one of the Ten Commandments? Of course we've, we're, all, we're not going to keep our end of the bargain. And when God makes it clear uh, in the Old and New Testament both, as you'll see in, in home group this week, that just to mess up in one little point brings the curse of the law on top of you, the entire weight of the law is on you when you just fail to keep it in one single point. So, the nation of Israel didn't do so well and constantly they're being taken over by other countries in the book of Judges. It's a sad, sad book. There's a lot to learn in there, but man, it's a sad book. Constantly they're in, in, in um, slavery to other nations because of their sin and then they would cry out to the God and God would mercilessly mercifully deliver them finally we get to David and the Lord says in in 2nd Samuel I'm going to make a covenant with you David your son is going to reign on the throne he is going to be the Messiah now it's not written like that at all but those who understood scripture and those who studied scripture all of the uh, the prophets in the Old Testament began to understand that's exactly what he was saying Messiah is coming from David's Line. It wasn't Solomon. It wasn't any of Solomon's uh, children. Finally, we get to Jeremiah 31 where, where Jeremiah, where God says to the people, Jeremiah, by the way, I almost wanted to preach on Jeremiah a couple of years ago. So glad I didn't. It is the most difficult book in the Bible. I'm telling you, it is miserable, sinful people who oppose God in every way and God's judgment coming upon them and it was inevitable that it was going to come upon them. There was no way to escape it. <clears throat> Jeremiah would say, okay, the Lord says if you'll do this, then I'll withhold my judgment. And they say, yeah, we're going to do that. But they never did. It was just awful. So in Jeremiah 31, the Lord says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the nation of Israel. And they're going to all know me from their hearts. It's not going to be like this. It's not going to be about keeping the law. They're going to know me. And it was the only hope really. For the nation of Israel. It was the only hope for anybody. That God would make a new covenant. And in fact. God had already promised in Genesis 15. Hadn't he? When he walked through the pieces. That I'm going to take. The penalty for your sin. The gospel is all over scripture. It's in Genesis 15. We saw last week. It's in Genesis 3. Everywhere in the Old Testament. Pointed everything in the Old Testament. Pointed to Jesus. Who would one day come and walk through the pieces for our sins. And thus we come today to the table. The Lord's table. So I'm going to ask the elders and the deacons who are going to be serving the worship team, if you would, to come forward. In just a few moments, we're going to invite all of you uh, who are believers in Jesus Christ, you've been baptized, to affirm your, your faith in Christ. Uh, we're going to ask you to come forward after the, our servers are served. You'll be coming down the interior aisles. You'll be going back up the center and the two end aisles along uh, the windows. Um, but I want us to uh, look today at, at, at Luke chapter 22 and think about how God ties all of this together. By the way, there will be, let me just finish saying this, there will be stations in front of each section. Please uh, go to the station in front of you where an elder or deacon will serve you communion, and serve you the elements, the, the bread and the juice. Um, you can partake right there. Most people go back to the seats and uh, reflect for just a moment and then partake. Um, if indeed some of the sections are done and your section is backed up way up, then just come in front of the other one and partake. 
So think about this covenant that God made with Abraham. And then look at Luke 22. Starting with verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And it, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. By the way, the kingdom of God is not floating on clouds and heaven playing harps. You know, or in the sky playing harps. It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be a lot like this except perfect. And we're going to have Jesus' presence always to give us light. Uh, we're not going to need a temple. There's going to be no need for any sacrifices. In fact, already there's not. But at this time, we remember Jesus' great sacrifice at His table. So... Jesus says, I'm going to eat this again with you. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, he raised the cup, and he said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. See how all the dots are connected? You've sinned. There's a penalty for your sin. There's a payment. There's a price that has to be paid. Punishment. And Jesus said, I'm going to pay it. I'm going to walk through the pieces. So, in your life, maybe you've been trying to be good enough. We can't be good enough. Abraham wasn't good enough. And yet God said, your faith is counted to you as righteousness. Jesus Christ is set before your very eyes. When we come to this table, it reminds us. It reminds us that Jesus was raised up and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because our sin was upon him and the Father turned away. Not able to accept Jesus in that condition. Our sin was put, placed on him. But in return as we believe. His righteousness is placed on us. If you have wondered am I ever going to be good enough. The answer is no you'll never be good enough. You'll always make mistakes. You'll always sin. But Jesus Blood covers you. And when you repent of your sin. And when you cry out to God for mercy. Just cry out in your heart. Oh Lord save me. I'm a sinner. But save me according to your mercy in Christ. For what he has done for me. By what he has done for me. Then you're saved. You're justified at that moment. And justification. We'll talk about this next week. Is a once and for all. One time process. Sanctification goes on. But justification does not continue in life. You don't have to continually justify yourself. Jesus did that on your behalf. And as we come this morning. And we share this bread and this juice together. This fruit of the vine together. Uh, we are bound to one another. Even as we are bound to Christ. I'm going to pray for us. And the elders uh, and the worship team will be served. And then they will. Serve you. We'll have ushers on the aisles who will let you know when it's uh, your turn to go. Our Father, um, indeed, many would walk in here this morning and look at us and say, You are all fools. Look at you, what you're doing. <laughs> but Lord, we believe. We believe with all of our hearts. And we know that the, that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the Greeks. A stumbling block to the Jews. It's foolishness to the world. It's, it's a stumbling block to the religious. Lord, when we believe, we become your children. And we long 
to do the things that please you. But we recognize that it is not happening apart from your strength and your uh, grace in our lives. As for our salvation, we know that it only comes in, in faith in Christ. Faith in the finished work of, of Christ on the cross. And so, Lord, we would say to you, we believe, help our unbelief. We would say to you, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross in our place. For living a life in the face of temptation. Living the perfect life that you had designed man to live. And yet, our ancestors fell and we fell with them, in them, as they partook of the forbidden fruit in the garden. But now Jesus has fulfilled every part of the law and died in our stead. And as we come to this table, we confess our sins and we confess and, 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 and proclaim our great gratitude for the sacrifice made on our behalf. And it's in the name of the one who died for our sins that we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Jeremy Pittman. I'm one of your deacons here at Grace Community Church. And for those of you who don't know me well, I'm a deputy sheriff for Wake County Sheriff's Office. And thinking of the courtroom this morning, I've been in many, many courtrooms uh, throughout my career. And I've seen many accused stand before a judge, and I've seen many attorneys stand beside the accused and defend them. But I've never seen an attorney stand in front of an accused when that judgment comes from the judge. So what a Savior we have. Amen. Hear this and live this week as the redeemed. <clears throat> oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who knows the mind of our God, our Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has given to God that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.